Good morning. Thank you so much, Aaron. So good to be with you here today. Uh, as Aaron said, I am a, a good friend of, of Mike McQuitty. Uh, can't really say enough good things about him and the, what he's, uh, how he's kind of helped me to get started in the ministry and uh, the work that uh, he's uh, allowed, uh, kind of kind of connected me with so many different churches over the years. And so I'm, I, I'm so privileged today to be uh, filling in for him. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians today, uh, a passage that's uh, very familiar probably to um, all of us. And I want us to think today about this idea of contentment as we're coming off of this week of Thanksgiving and reflecting on what God has blessed us with. And my question as we get started this morning is to consider who we're following. We are, as followers of Christ, we've trusted in Jesus for our forgiveness and for our salvation, and we are called to live in a different way, with different perspectives, because our lives are oriented around the gospel. And they're oriented around what Christ has done in our lives. And one of those attitudes concerns the, the attitude of contentment. Contentment is something that maybe we hear from the world, uh, that to be content in our circumstances or with our families, or there's some recognition of these things. But the perspective for the child of God is oriented around Christ and around what he has done for us. So, just a basic definition of what is contentment. The dictionary definition is that it's feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. That's sort of a a basic kind of framework, just to kind of give us some idea. But I want us today to look at the scriptures and to see what the Apostle Paul had to say about contentment. And we're going to see what the, the secret of true contentment is. And also some characteristics of someone who is content. So we're going to see four characteristics of a truly contented person. The first one is that a content person is significantly grateful. To understand this point, we need a little bit of background on the the circumstances of what Paul is describing. But let's look in verse 10 of Philippians chapter I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So it's important to understand what Paul's talking about in this verse. What's he referencing? A little bit about the context of the book of Philippians. The setting is around AD 61. Uh, Paul is writing uh, most likely from Rome. He's in prison for the sake of the gospel. And he's under house arrest. A lot of, most people believe that this is what's sort of described in the book of Acts, at the end of the book of Acts, where Paul is under house arrest. This, this would be the timing of this letter. And Paul had received a, a letter from the, or he'd received a gift from the church of Philippi. And this gift was some financial support. And in a lot of ways, this letter is a thank you to them for their concern for him, for their love for him. The gifts had come through Epaphroditus, and he is informing uh, the Philippians 
uh, about the well-being of Epaphroditus, and he's also, uh, he encourages them. Epaphroditus had become very sick and almost died, and Paul is sending this letter with Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. And so this is kind of what he's talking about here in verse 10. But like what we see overall throughout this letter is that the theme is joy. We saw that word rejoice there in verse 10. And that's very much the theme. This word comes up 16 times in, in different forms throughout the letter of Philippians. And we see that Paul has joy despite his circumstances, despite his suffering for the gospel. And we see that that joy was based on the character of Christ. It was based on who Christ was and, his, and Paul's relationship with Christ. A few things I want to highlight about the joy that we see in the book of Philippians. Some difference between joy, contentment, versus happiness. We often think about happiness, our, our world treasures happiness, right? I mean, it's, it's so common theme in all of our entertainment that this is what we're, we're chasing for. But happiness is oftentimes, I like to think of it as, as more oriented around our circumstances. It's oriented around the things that happen in our lives. And so we may not be happy with all of the things that we're going through in our lives. But the difference between that and joy is that joy for the Christian is based on knowing Christ. And that's something that doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. Our relationship with Jesus is our rock, our anchor. And so we can have joy even as we endure difficult circumstances. As we go through challenges in our lives. Even though we may not be happy with what we are enduring. We can still have joy and contentment because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a week um, where we consider giving thanks. It's a week where sometimes maybe Thanksgiving is a little bit of an, of an afterthought in our culture. But I want us to see how Paul shows his gratitude to the Philippians in this in verse 10. Let's see this again. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that, you, uh, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. That word revive is a very glowing term. Uh, it's actually a commentator, Grant Osborne, he writes this, this word conveys this sort of agricultural metaphor describing springtime. Flowers and trees blossom forth with buds and shoots. And Paul is describing that their gift had flowered forth and had ended his drought with beauty and joy. Paul shows significant, effusive gratitude toward the Philippians. And he's grateful He's rejoicing in the Lord for their blessing to him. And as we kind of, we're still thinking on this, this theme of thanksgiving and, and giving thanks. We, we see, as I mentioned, our culture 
we have this time where we, 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 give, we give thanks. We, we may focus on being thankful for our family and our, you know, and our relationships and what we have. And then we, we quickly turn over to Black Friday, right? <laughs> we quickly turn over for frenzied shopping, whether that's in stores or online. And we focus on acquiring more and more. But as followers of Christ, we're to have an attitude of gratitude. We're to have an attitude of joy. Because we have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to be thankful for. Our lives have been changed by the power of the gospel. And our future is settled in heaven. We have the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And God has bestowed so many blessings on us as his children. And God calls us to live with an attitude of thankfulness. I love this verse that where Paul, he's giving instructions to the, to the Thessalonians. And he says in verse 18 of chapter 5, he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul says that we should give thanks in all circumstances. I don't think that means we have to be thankful for everything. But we should be thankful in everything. Through everything. Because of what Christ has done. And he says that this is the will of God. Being thankful is something we should focus on. We should attain strive to attain for because it's the will of God. It is what God has called his people to be. And many of us, I'm sure, enjoy being around people who are thankful. It's sometimes more, it's, it's harder to be around and enjoy being with people who are frustrated, complaining, and just down a lot. Thinking of all the things that they want or things that they want changed. They're discontent with their circumstances. Things maybe they can't control. But it is important to remember that as followers of Christ, there is so much that has already been given to us that we can give thanks to God for and give thanks to one another for the fellowship that we have as Believers, this unity that we have in the Holy Spirit. So first of all, we see that a content person is significantly grateful. We saw Paul's attitude of thankfulness. Let's see. A content person is selfless in nature. So while Paul's going through this time of suffering, this is we're still in verse 10, he's, he's rejoicing. That he rejoiced in the Lord for the love that the Philippians had shown to him and because of their unity that they had in the gospel. As Paul received this gift, I want us to see that, not, that Paul was not focused on his own needs. Prison at this time, this was not a, a time where they were providing for prisoners. They, this was no, there was no system for that. So you had to find your own ways to survive and so Paul really is, there's, a, there's kind of destitution here for Paul. But he's thankful, and yet his focus 
remains on the Philippians. Look a few verses down in verses 14 through 17 of chapter 4. You're a little small on the screen there, but... Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And then verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's highest priority was not that his needs were met. And he, but he's, he changes his focus. His focus is on the blessing that will be for the Philippian church. His focus is not on himself, but on others. This fruit that he's referencing, probably more like the, the spiritual fruit that, will, that the Philippians are storing up in heaven. But then he assures them, too, that God will supply their needs in verse 19. But it's more, I think, the, the focus is more on, their, on the spiritual fruit than the financial material reward. But Paul's concern is on the Philippians. And I think having a selfless attitude is important when we talk about contentment. We see that Paul was not concerned with his own needs. And that should be our perspective as well. When we, are, we struggle with being frustrated with our circumstances, being discontent, we're usually concerned, consumed with ourselves. We're focused on what we want, what we need, or maybe the immediate needs of, of some of those around us, but it's, it's usually focused on ourselves. And uh, I kind of mentioned this before, but this is kind of the, I think we usually see in people who are complaining, right? Some of, I think maybe, you know, I think all of us have struggled with this in some way or another. Maybe some of us know people who we would consider expert complainers. They're, they can they could complain about anything, right? Whether that's the weather or the traffic or you can complain about just about anything and everything. Maybe some of you know people who you could, they could teach a seminar on, on how to complain, this is the step-by-step process. But this is, it's, it's kind of our human nature to be frustrated, to be complaining and discontent. And you think about infants, some of you, you know, are parents. I'm not a, I'm not a parent, but uh, I was a kid, right? And we go through the, the children, they, they go through times where you think about an infant or a baby where they are, they're just, they're selfish by nature. It's, it's what's their default expression. And they cry, and they, they are, they, that's how they let you know when they're hungry, or they need to be, they're uncomfortable, whatever that is. They kind of express that through complaining. We learned that early on in life, right? But selflessness is key in contentment. Since we, we get our eyes off of ourselves and focus more on Christ, and on the needs of others. Those are the things that are important in life, the things that have eternal significance, which are the souls and lives of other people. I want us to see a couple other examples of Paul's attitude as far as his selflessness throughout the book of Philippians. Um, look in, verse, in chapter 1, 
verses 17 and 18. Paul writes of people who were preaching the gospel and yet criticizing, sort of backstabbing him at the same time. And then we see, here's, here's Paul's perspective. He says, The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. You see here, Paul is not even that concerned about his own reputation. His focus was on the gospel being made known and on Christ being proclaimed. So even though people, they're they're preaching Christ, criticizing Paul at the same time, Paul says that he rejoices. Not in the fact that they're criticizing him, but that Christ is being made known in spite of it. And I think sometimes it's a point of application for us. Maybe we, we fear what others may think of us. And it may hold us back from sharing the gospel with someone. It may hold us back from reaching that next person with the gospel. Because we're fearful of feeling awkward or uncomfortable. But these concerns are they're primarily self-focused. Losing focus on that person's greatest need for the gospel that need to be forgiven and changed. We also see that Paul was not that concerned whether he even lived or died. We look in verse a little a few more verses down in chapter one, some well known verses to us. Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I should shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So here's Paul. He's, he's suffering, and he's not really sure where things are going to go. He's not sure if he's going to be released from prison. That's his expectation, and that's what um, most scholars believe. This is what took place, that he was released after this imprisonment. But Paul's... he's. He's torn between, hey, I can, I can go to heaven, which is so much better, but then if I remain here, I can have fruitful service for you. Again, we see Paul's selflessness, his selfless focus, this attitude of Christ. And I don't have this on the slides, but in chapter 2, there's a great passage which some scholars believe is a hymn about the, the selflessness of Christ, the humility of Christ. It's such a great passage on the deity of Jesus and his humanity as well. And Paul urges the Philippians to have this mindset of Christ that we see in chapter 2. So we've seen that uh, a content person is significantly grateful and that they're selfless in nature. Now I want us to see that a content person is satisfied in all circumstances. Look in verse 11 of chapter 4. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So 
The Greek word here for content is the word autarkist. It is uh, kind of this, uh, the only instance of this form in the New Testament. And it has this idea of, sort of maybe self-sufficiency or satisfaction, similar to ideas of contentment. Now, it also has some, uh, some connotations from the context. So Paul here is sort of redeeming a concept that was sort of known to the Stoic or Hellenistic world of his day, which suggested that being that this idea of being self-sufficient, being in control, and being able to rise above through reason. And then Paul here redeems this idea to focus on resting in God's sufficiency. And we see here that God has designed us, has designed people, to really only find satisfaction in knowing Him. The world may chase satisfaction. It may chase happiness and joy through various channels, but ultimately it's going to come up empty. Ultimately, there's still going to be that hollow, that emptiness from not knowing Christ, not being forgiven of your sins. And so, I, and I think this is a really challenging thing, even for us who know Christ. This is a challenging focus because we go through things in life that are really challenging, that are really difficult. I think even on some of my, my own circumstances, as my, I have a, my dad has uh, is pretty poor health and he really struggles. And it's, it's hard to be happy and to be joyful in those circumstances. To be satisfied. Because you just want the problem to disappear. And we think that if only this circumstance changes. And Paul's not saying here, I think, that, that, there, that it's wrong to try to maybe improve our standards of living. Or even try to change things that we may have the ability to change. So it's not wrong to do that. And it's... I think there are times where we do need this sort of sanctified dissatisfaction with regards to our sin and in surrendering ourselves to the will of God and obedience to Christ and that we, we shouldn't be satisfied with, you know, people not coming to know Christ. We shouldn't have contentment on that. Those are things to be discontent over because we need to reach people with the gospel. But there are things in our lives, in our circumstances, it's kind of what Paul's referring to, that we, we can't control. There are things that we, 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 are not in, we are not in charge of everything that happens in our lives. And so many people in our culture, they, they may seek satisfaction in wealth or in position or in relationships. But as I said, we're, we're going to come up empty. We're going to come up short. Because all of those things, they're all just temporary. They're not going to last. I think about uh, this, this picture here on the, on the slide. Surrounded, this man here is kind of surrounded by advertisements, right? And I'm not here to say that, you know, advertisements are, are bad or wrong or, you know, uh, sometimes they, there's nothing wrong with meeting a, a demand for something. But to make a general point about what advertisements often do is that they sort of make us discontent. They make us maybe think that, 
we need something that maybe we don't really need. Or something that we think, oh, this will make us happy or more popular or more satisfied. And we often experience, I mean, advertisements is such a way of life in our culture. You know, we experience it basically from being a child on up. And the culture, they, they try to, it's sort of this ex, kind of exploiting of our, you know, consumerism. You grow up to become a great consumer in this world. And often, we realize, as we, maybe if we pursue these things, we, you just have to keep reaching for the next thing. The next object, or the next promotion, the next relationship. Whatever that may be. I appreciate the words of King Solomon, most likely King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're with Solomon in perspective here. The writer, he speaks about his emptiness and his discontentment after he had spent much of his life pursuing the things of the world, pursuing great wealth. He writes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. The book of Ecclesiastes has a sort of has a very cynical tone to it. But it does speak some truth. It speaks truth to our circumstances. As you see the writer chasing after wealth, chasing after the things that he thought would give him pleasure. And then he did finds out it's all empty. It was all chasing after the wind. There was nothing to be gained. And so the key issue, really, as we talk about contentment, the key issue is that we, we don't want to allow these attitudes from the world to shape how we think, to shape what we think defines us, to shape what we think this is what my life should be about, to think that this is what will bring me satisfaction. As I said before, God designed us that we would have satisfaction in knowing him. That's the ultimate focus of what God created us to be. He created us to have fellowship with Him and fellowship with one another. All of these verses in the, in the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, there's, there's such, there's the great pronouncements of, there's some negative things, pronouncements of judgment in Jeremiah. And this context here in chapter 9, this is in the context of a lament over the wickedness of the people of Judah. But yet the Lord reveals his priority for his people. Verse 23 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, 
declares the Lord. God's priority for his people is that they would have a relationship with him. It was true in the Old Testament. It's true of us today. Knowing God, having that relationship with Christ is really all that counts in life. When you have Jesus, there's really nothing more that you could ever need to bring satisfaction. I remember hearing a story one time of a pastor telling the story about some people who said, I think they had this perspective, they were going through some challenging circumstances, and they said, oh, preacher, all we've got left is God. But that's just the, that's the reverse way of looking at things. It's upside down. Because when you have God, you have everything. You have all the power that he has. Not that we have some special power, but we rest in his and in his sufficiency, in his ability. And we are secure in his love for us and what he has done for us. We don't seek security in the things of this world or the possessions of this world. I think of the, the story, the account of, of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. And we see that the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus and he wanted to know how to have eternal life. And he sought to justify himself through his own righteousness. But then Jesus gets right to the heart of the issue. He goes right to where the man where he had put his security and his confidence. Verse 21, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So the young man, this rich young ruler, he gave up on Christ. He walked away from the Son of God, from following Christ. He got to keep his possessions, what he was living for, but he missed out on knowing Christ. He missed out on following Jesus. He also missed out on opportunities to help people with the possessions that he had. And that is indeed, he was sorrowful about Jesus' answer to him. But it's more sorrowful, too, that he missed out on what God had called him to be and do. And he missed out on being forgiven and on knowing Christ. I love the way the writer of Hebrews, when talking about possessions, talking about the focus of the believer in Hebrews 13, he says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We see that this idea about the presence of God in our lives is enough to help us to be satisfied in whatever circumstances we face in our lives. Paul wrote this, I appreciate his words in 1 Timothy, where Paul encourages Timothy 
Well, I'll share this with you. About possessions, contentment is not found in keeping possessions, but it's found in knowing a person. That's what our lives should be about as followers of Christ. I appreciate the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, but for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Similar attitude that we see here in Philippians, where Paul recognized that it was It was God who allowed difficulties to come into his life, and he was content in knowing Christ. Sometimes I think maybe we struggle with being discontent because we believe the wrong things. We believe, maybe maybe we believe some lies about God's character. I heard a preacher one time talk about some of these lies that people may believe, that they're things like, God doesn't care about us. We know these things aren't true. They're lies from the enemy. Or that God is too far away, or he's, too, he's, he's a thousand miles away, or he's too busy. And we know these are, these are all lies. But if we come to a, think and a, believe some of these things, it'll frustrate us. It'll cause us to be discontent with what we're going through. Because our focus is on the wrong thing. So it's good to be reminded, as I mentioned before, about Paul, what he says in verse 19 of Philippians 4. Paul assured the Philippians that God would supply every need of of theirs according to his riches and glory. The Philippians were faithful to God, and they were faithful in, in ministering to the Apostle Paul, and God would honor their faithfulness and their trust in him. And then finally, I want us to see, we saw that a content person is significantly grateful. We saw Paul's gratitude to the Philippians and his rejoicing in the Lord. We saw that a content person is selfless in nature. And that a content person is satisfied in all circumstances. And then finally, this is sort of our key here, that a content person is strengthened by Christ. Look in verse 12, back in Philippians 4. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This is the key here. Paul says in verse 12 that he's learned the secret of being content. This word, it's a Greek word, it's mueo, which is the idea of kind of being initiated in the mysteries. This sort of insider knowledge, if you will, that Paul has. But also we see that Paul had to learn this. As we saw before, selfishness is more of our default. But Paul had to learn what it meant to be content in all circumstances. He knew how to be, have, a, have a lot or to have a little. But it was based on his understanding, his trust in the faithfulness of God. That God would always be faithful 
no matter what. Paul had seen this in his life, and I know we've seen it in our lives as well. We know that God is faithful. We can trust in him. And so, the secret to being content is really, this is one of the, one of the, probably the most famous verses in the Bible, right? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is a verse, if you read some textbooks on how to interpret the Bible, this is one of those verses that's probably the most misread in all of Scripture. We sort of interpret it often as sort of triumphalism, that we can triumph over our enemies or our opponents. It's often used, we think about athletes, you know, I'm going to go and defeat my opposing team, right? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's actually not what it's about. It's not triumphalism over opponents. It's really more about submission to Christ and unity with Christ. That word rendered through, just a simple preposition, kind of has this idea of in union with. That Christ's strength and power is being infused into Paul so that he can endure. So he can continue on with what God has given him to do. No matter the circumstances in his life. And so the all things that Paul is speaking of ties in with these circumstances that he's facing. That he can be, he can have a little, he can have a lot. It doesn't matter because he has Christ. Because he knows the one who is Lord of all. So I appreciate that this actually is rendered a little differently in the NIV uh, from, from our translation to emphasize this context more specifically. It says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So this captures what Paul's talking about in the previous verses. This is the secret that Paul had learned of contentment. And maybe you're saying that my circumstances are so challenging. I, I just, I can't be content. They're too difficult. They're too much to overcome. That if only something would change, then I would be satisfied. Then I would be content. And Paul, I mean, he even includes more pleasant circumstances. And you can be content even when he has a lot. There's a famous quote maybe some of you are familiar with from uh, the wealthy businessman John D. Rockefeller, who perhaps sort of jokingly responded when he was asked the question about how much money is enough to make him satisfied. He simply replied, just a little bit more. We see that even in prosperous times, contentment is not Guaranteed. Contentment is a choice, a perspective, and how we choose to handle our attitudes. We can always think of things to complain about or things that we may want to change, but we can also think of so many things that we have to be thankful for. 
so many things that God has blessed us with in our lives. And if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, then you have this wonderful hope of a future in heaven. That that has been bought, purchased by the blood of Christ, proven by his resurrection. And so today, if, if, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you've never committed to following Jesus, then I would encourage you to get that settled today. To put your trust in the only one who can bring satisfaction to your soul. The only one who can meet the deepest need of your heart. Jesus came so that we may have life that we may have abundant life, that we may live in light of his love and what he has done for us through the gospel. Such a wonderful message that Jesus has brought to us of forgiveness. And as we we think forward this season of Advent, this season of, of Christmas where Jesus came to bring salvation He didn't come, he didn't meet the expectations of the people of his day. And for some people today, he still doesn't meet their expectations. They're still looking for something else. But Jesus is Lord. And he is the only one who can bring that forgiveness and that satisfaction to our hearts. It is he who leads us into a relationship with him. And so as we, we close, we reflect. That's our, our, my challenge for, for you. That you consider your, your attitudes, where you are today. Maybe where you, are you more grateful? Are you more content than you were a year ago? Are you serving Christ more than you were a year ago? And so just a quick summary. You saw all the, the, the points here about Characteristics of what it is to be content. But again, that key is to know Christ. As we close, we'll we'll bow for a word of prayer. And we will uh, continue on. Father, I thank you just for your love for us. For all that you have done for us. The coming to save us. to Not only to, to offer us forgiveness, although that would be more than anything we ever deserved, but that you came to know us. You want us to have fellowship with you. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that that you want us to follow you. And today I want to extend that if you've never trusted in Jesus, Maybe today you just decided this is the day that I'm going, to be, I'm going to commit my life to follow Christ. And if that's your prayer, we would, just, we would love to, to meet you at the front, to pray with you, to encourage you. If that's your desire, then I would just urge you to come pray before the Lord. Maybe there's something you need to to sort of to rededicate your life to Him. 
Maybe this year things haven't gone the way you planned or the way you wanted. But you want to refocus your life on following Christ. We want to give that opportunity for you here this morning. And Lord, we just we we thank you for all these things. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.